Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining the College Age Movement podcast. This week, we are starting a new sermon series entitled Simple, and it's a walk through the book of Colossians. And this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. And the reason that it's called Simple is because the church in Colossae was struggling with with just some foundational elements of their faith. And uh, I think that we still struggle with foundational elements of our faith today. And so we can look at this letter that Paul wrote and, and pull some things out and see how relevant they still are today. To contextualize a little bit, Paul, as per usual, is in prison and writing this letter to the church. And he just wants to, to really reiterate and re-remind this church and these people of who Jesus is, who God is, and, and start from scratch and uh, I think it would be really good for us in this season of time to, to start from scratch in our faith and to just think about some things that, that maybe we haven't thought about for a while or, or things that maybe we think about regularly, um, but, but we need a different element to be interjected into that or we need a different perspective. So super excited for, for what we have in this series and excited to see what God does uh, through it. And so we're going to start in the second half of chapter 1 verses 15 through 18 say this. They say, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So the first point is this, is that God is not a character. He is the creator. It is of the utmost importance that we understand whom it is that we are talking about. Paul is making it so incredibly clear that, that he's talking about the almighty God because the church had a tendency to forget that fact. And I think that it's so relevant because we too often forget as well who we're talking about when we're talking about God. That, that this almighty God who created everything, the creator, he created the stars in the sky, he created the mountains, he created us. And yet we too often talk about him like he's a character in a book, not the creator of the universe. So we need to make sure that that God is not like the Easter bunny or Santa Claus, but too often he is, and he is because we talk about him when it's convenient and when he's in season. We talk about God in in the hard times because we need need this idea that God's going to swoop in and save the day. And so it's super convenient or it's in this really hard season of time. And just like we, we talk about Santa Claus or we talk about Easter Bunny or we talk about the Tooth Fairy in these very specific instances, we tend to treat God that way, that there's these specific God instances where it's okay to talk about God and it's okay to recognize maybe who he is or what part he plays instead of understanding that he's not a character in our story, he's the author of our story. And we need to get that through our head. And Paul, at this time, to the church in Colossae, wasn't going to let that slide. And he reminded the church in Colossae of a couple things. And the first being this is that all things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him and for him. When we look at our lives, 
we need to understand that there is not a single created thing that cannot be used for the kingdom of God. And as human beings, we tend to look at some things and we think that they're insufficient or they're, they're unremarkable. But really, if God created them, they are amazing, remarkable, beautiful things that can be used for his kingdom. Last week, I got to spend uh, some time in Glacier National Park, and uh, I was born and raised in Montana, and I have never gone through Glacier National Park, and people come from all over the world to spend time there because of what it is, and so we got this opportunity to drive over going to the Sun Road, and uh, spent half a day just, just really soaking in God's creation, and oh my gosh, like, if you do not see God in those things, like, there's something wrong, because... It, he is so evident in, in that creation that you see the mountains and you see the valleys and you see the rivers and you see these lakes and then you just see all of these things and you're just like, man, God is amazing. Look at how magnificent these things are. And it might be easy to look at Glacier and see God, but he's in the small things as well. And I think that, that we have to have an appreciation for those things. I mean, it, it could be a dandelion, which is a weed, but yet we still find beautiful another flower, a small animal, like whatever it is, I think that it, it would change a lot if our perspective shifted and we started to see creation for what it is, and that is God-inspired. And there are things in our lives that, that we have a hard time looking at that have been created by God, and we don't see their function, and, and they don't really hold that much meaning to us. But if we would change our perspective and understand that everything created was by Him and for Him, we start to see things the way that God sees things. And, and that's his hope, is that, that he would be able to instill upon us this vision that he has for creation. And then secondly, Paul's communicating this, is that all people were created by him and for him. All people were created by him and for him. And this one might be a little bit harder to stomach. Like there's that one person who you think might be straight from the devil. Like, you're like, no way God created that person. That person is evil, and, and there's nothing good in them. But every single person has purpose. Everyone, even you, even me, like messy, broken us, has purpose and a plan. And even that one person who we think might be from the devil is obviously not. God created that person. And maybe they've, they've wandered from their way. Maybe we've wandered from the way that God has created us to be or, or the person that God has created us to be, but there's still purpose and there's still plan instilled within us because he has created us for a very specific purpose. And it's important to remember that the creator has made no mistakes. God has made no mistakes, period. End of story. You are not a mistake. I am not a mistake. The, the, the hard people in our lives are not mistakes, they're intended beings who have potential to impact the kingdom, who have potential to worship God, to, to create for God, to have influence over relationship for God. And he understands that. The problem is that we too often forget it. It's not about whether or not God believes that there's purpose and plan and intentionality within every single human being. It's whether or not we are able to accept that and start to, to speak that into people's lives and, and allow it to be spoken into our lives as well. See, God is not naive. He's not unaware. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we will continue to talk about that, that God does not change. 
and that God is so, so incredibly aware of everything that is going on. And Paul, Paul is having this conversation with the church in Colossae because he doesn't want there to be any questions about the supremacy of God. That, that he is not just this, this man in the sky or this being in the sky that, that is just present sometimes. He is supreme. He is everything. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. Like there, there is nothing that God cannot do. And when we can get that through our thick skulls, everything else that, that we struggle with and everything else that we have questions about and everything else that we deal with starts to shake out. And then Paul makes one other statement, and he says that he holds it all together. He holds it all together. What I love about this statement is that he doesn't just say he created it and then he let it be, but he holds it all together, that this would not work without God. All of creation would not work without God. That the placement of the sun, the placement of the moon, the placement of earth, like all of those things would not function without God. And that, that he is consistently holding it together. It's not this like, oh, I hope everything works out. I created it and I'm going to send it down the road, and I hope that it doesn't end up in a fiery car accident. No, he, he holds it all together on a daily basis. And something that Paul is, is talking about, too, in this, this specific letter to the church in Colossae is this, is that he wants them to know that the church and the movement of Christ was created by God as well, and that he holds that together as well. I, I love the message translation, and... Uh, I have a parallel Bible, and so I always read the scripture in NIV and then get the opportunity to read it in the message as well. And I just want to point to, to these three verses in the message, uh, verses 15 through 18, something that we already read, but, but in the new translation. It says this, it says, We look at this sun and see God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose and everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him. And it finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. I just love the way that that's phrased. We have this purpose within the church, but it's not to hold it together. Jesus does that. But too many of us feel like we're the reason the church is holding together. We're the reason our small groups are holding together. We're the reason that our friend groups are, are, are holding together. Anything that is Jesus-related, we, we feel like if, if I step out of that, it's done. It's over. But I think it's important that we reiterate on time and time again that Jesus is the glue that holds all of those things together. He's, he's the head that holds the body together. And it's not about you and I. He wants us to participate, absolutely. And we're, we're vital parts of the body, but he holds everything together. We are not the most important person in church. Jesus is. Our purpose is to operate within that which he has already established. I want to say that again. Our purpose is to operate within that which he has already established. Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a purpose. He, he is building his church. He is building a movement. He is building all of these things. And you and I get to be the hands and feet. Like that, that's why we say that. Go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
we get to do things. We get to go places. We get to be who God has called us to be. We get to be the mouthpiece of Jesus that, that hopefully the words that we speak would be life-giving and it would be something that Jesus would speak to his people. But we are not. Like, if you and I leave, if you and I pass away, if you, you and I, whatever, if some reason you and I are out of the picture, the movement of God does not stop. And for a lot of us, it's really important that we understand that we are not the focal point. We need to get the attention off of ourselves and put it back on Jesus because he is everything. Paul then ends this portion, this message about who Jesus is with verses 19 and 20. And I want to read it in NIV and the message. First, in NIV, it says this. It says, For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, being Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then in the message it says, He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to the end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone, so spacious, He is so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood, that poured down from the cross. So Paul makes it abundantly clear who God is, and then he switches gears to remind the church, to remind you, to remind me of who we are. So we've talked about who God is. He is supreme. He is everything. But Paul Paul wants to make a vital point about who we are. So in verses 21 through 22, he says this, is that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. What an incredible scripture that is. Like, if that doesn't get you pumped up, it should. I just want to pull out a couple words from this. The first one being this is reconciled. Reconciled. Reconciled means the end of estrangement. The end of estrangement. That, that before Jesus, we were estranged to who God was. That, that we didn't have the relationship that was intended to be had between God and man. And Jesus brought everything back into perfect relationship. And we, we all have that estranged person in our life, right? We all have somebody who we're really tight with, who we're really good friends with, and now we, we don't hang out with that person anymore. Right? It could be time, like time has just kind of gotten in the way and, and we no longer hang out with that person. Or somebody you hung out with in high school that you haven't seen in years. Somebody moved away when, from, like you were best friends when you were a kid and they moved away. But what I love about our human relationships and that we probably all have these relationships is this, is that there are people in my life that I know, I haven't seen them in years, but if we came into contact, it would be like we hadn't missed any time at all. That the relationship that we had in high school would be restored very, very quickly. And on a much grander scale, I think that that's what Jesus does when he reconciles us to God, is that there was this perfect relationship created by God with Adam and Eve, and then the fall of man happened. 
But even though it's thousands of years later, when, when Jesus came and he died on a cross and he shed his blood to atone for every single sin that we had committed, that we will commit, everything, Jesus has forgiven it. And because of that, we get to enter back into perfect relationship with God. That that estrangement is no longer there and it's like it never even happened. That, that the blood of Jesus fixes everything. It patches every hole. It mends every relationship. And most importantly, it mends our relationship with God. And that's an absolutely amazing thing. Then the next phrase that Paul uses is holy in his sight. Holy in his sight. This last weekend, I got to speak at our junior high and high school services. And we talked about this word holy. And so some of you might have heard this before, but, but holy doesn't mean perfect. We tend to think that the holy means perfect, without blemish. Like there's, there's nothing there. Like nothing at all. It's perfect. But holy actually means dedicated or consecrated. Dedicated or consecrated. You see, we think about the Bible, and, and so many of our Bibles say the holy Bible. But it's, it's really important that we understand that, that even though the Bible is, we, we believe that the Bible is perfect, the reason the holy is on it is because it's dedicated and it's consecrated to God. That when we think about the Bible, when we see the Bible, we think about Jesus. If we were to go to Israel or we were to go to Jerusalem, we were to go to the, these places that, that have holy ground, it's not because it's perfect dirt or a, a perfect piece of land. It's because it's been consecrated, dedicated to Jesus. And we want our lives to be that. We understand that our lives are not going to be absolutely perfect, but they can be dedicated and they can be consecrated to God. You see, God is not naive to our imperfection. He wants us to be dedicated. He wants to see our dedication. And when we surrender our lives through relationship with Christ, that's evident. He wants to see our lives dedicated and consecrated to him. And then Paul does use the phrase, without blemish. It sounds like another phrase for perfect, right? But let me try to explain it this way. My kids, they are far from perfect but they're perfect in my eyes. I would, I would die for them. I would take them anywhere that I go. I would take them everywhere that I go. I'm not naive to the fact that they aren't perfect. They make mistakes on a daily basis, but they're perfect to me. And God, being our Father, sees that in us. He doesn't think that we never make mistakes, but because of what Jesus did, he's able to look at us like a father looks at his children. And, and he sees you as this amazing child of his that he would take anywhere with him forever, no questions asked. That is an absolutely fantastic revelation for us to understand, is that God isn't expecting us to be perfect. He just wants us to be committed, to be dedicated, and to consecrate our lives to him. And then Paul uses the phrase, free from accusation. I think in our culture today, we have a terrible habit of pointing fingers at others, and especially at ourselves, right? We, we just, we point fingers all the time. And what Paul is saying here is that those, accu those accusations that we make 
are dead. They're no longer relevant. They're not worth talking about. Is that Jesus, because of what he did and who he is, creates in us who we now are. And that is free from accusation. That means that the finger pointing at others and the finger pointing at ourselves needs to stop. And that when others point their fingers at us, we, we can live in the hope and the strength of what Jesus provides and is that, is that, w- that our lives are accusation-free, that if we would dedicate our lives and we would walk in step with Jesus, we don't have to worry about the accusations because of what he did, not because of who we are or what we did, but because of what he did and what he continues to do every single day. He steps into that gap every day for every one of us. The call is also that we would stand in the gap for others. That, that Jesus would do something so crazy as like my favorite story. One of my favorite stories is this, this idea of the woman in, in scripture in the gospel of John that, that gets caught in adultery and, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they, they drag her into the temple courts and they say, Hey, this woman got called doing, uh, or participating in adultery. And, and what the law says that we are to do is we're to stone her to death. And then Jesus leans down and, writes in the sand in this this picture of like drawing a line in the sand and it says you without sin cast the first stone and all of these men drop their stones and they walk away and then Jesus says where are your accusers and she says I don't know I don't know where they're at and he says exactly they're gone so go and sin no more it's just such a beautiful picture, and I think it's important that we understand that, that God does that for us. Jesus does that for us, that he stands with us on the other side of the line, and he says, where are your accusers at? There's nobody perfect here. I'm the only perfect one, and I don't accuse you. So go and sin no more. And my prayer would be that, that we have that picture in our head daily, that, that we understand that we get to live lives free of accusation because of what Jesus has done for us. And then the last verse that I want to look at, verse 23, says this. It says, If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed in every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So the last point is this, is that do not move on from hope in the gospel. Do not move on from hope in the gospel, which is to say do not move on from your hope in Christ. Jesus is the gospel. He is everything. He is supreme. He is everything that we could ever need or ever want. And some of us are, are in this spot where like, I'm, I'm going to move on from this. Life is still hard. I've been following Jesus for a while, or I tried this Jesus thing for a little bit, and it, it didn't make life easy. It didn't make life perfect but I just really want to encourage you, don't move on from your hope that you have in the gospel. There's so much hope to be had. Don't move on from the hope that you have in Jesus. Stick with it. Stand firm and know that Jesus is going to do something incredible with you and in you and for you. And I want to end with this. is just the message translation again. I, I think that it says it better than I ever could. It says, you yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ bought you over to God's side 
and put your lives together. Whole in his sight and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this same message. And I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Thank you so much for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast. We will be back next week with part two.